0: well good morning faith family it's good to see you here this morning can we just praise the lord for miss kate and our team leading us so well this morning yeah grateful grateful for them so pastor sean and miss jess are at our college retreat at camp mundo vista anybody ever been there ash Ashboro, a couple of people cool uh man there's like mountains there i had no idea i drove about an hour and a half or so to get there and just a beautiful beautiful area uh, our college students are doing a, a retreat there having a great time learning a lot uh, the guest speaker has been tremendous really grateful uh, for him his name is Trey Benson uh, pastors in Georgia and is investing his weekend uh, into our college students it's been an incredible incredible time pastor Tyler and I uh, drove down for a little bit uh, on yesterday and spent a little bit of time with them and it was it, it was neat so I'm thankful to God uh, for all that he is doing there. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. So grab your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. We are not going to deal with the entire chapter uh, today, so you can be grateful for that. However, we will try to look at the first 17 verses. It's not as long as it seems whenever you see how how it's broken up. So You'll find your spot there. Uh, Before we dive in, I want to take just a couple of moments to pray together. Uh, We believe in the power of prayer here. Amen? So we know um, that our Lord has given us this communicable gift uh, to be able to go before Him in prayer. And I I would love for us to pray for those that are hurting. And, And I know it's kind of a broad stroke thing. But there are so many people that are contending with illnesses or someone in their family is battling a significant illness and it's man it's just a it's been a battle it's been a struggle uh, there are many who have lost loved ones and they're dealing with the wake of grief uh, from losing that loved one there are other relational strains i know there are a lot of uh, struggles just around us they, they abound uh, be it a, a job situation maybe it's a parental situation it could be a, a marital situation but suffice it to say that there are a lot of Uh, relational struggles many relational struggles Uh, I also would love for us to pray for the lost you know there's so many around us in our community in our world uh, perhaps even under the roof of your own home who do not know Christ and we have the opportunity and the ability to be able to pray for those who are far from God that God would open their eyes that God would open their hearts that they may know him and see his glory And I think about my own life, I think about your life, if you're a believer here today, there was not know the Lord, and someone prayed for us, and you know, God in his kindness allowed us uh, to be born again, allowed us to know him, and so we want to pray for others who don't know Christ, that God would open their their eyes. The speaker at the college retreat yesterday uh, really provided a challenging example for this. He said when he first got saved, he was driving somewhere and had to pull over, went into a McDonald's because he was so overwhelmed with the lostness of his friends he said he was so overwhelmed that he went into the bathroom in McDonald's and locked the stall and got on his knees right there and prayed for the salvation of his friends and he qualified it by saying I know that was disgusting he said but uh, my heart was so heavy for those that were close to me that did not know the Lord that I, I couldn't help but just spend time praying for them. So let's take a few moments praying for the loss and praying for the hurting uh, at this time. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes in a spirit of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have even now to come before you in prayer. God, recognizing that there are so many who are hurting and struggling. God, many who are dealing with the loss of loved ones. Many who are dealing with a diagnosis of a loved one, an illness that is wreaking havoc on the family. <clears throat> God, there are many relational struggles, be it marital, parental, co-working, friendship. <clears throat> I ask that you'll meet each person in their time of need. And your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted. For that we're thankful. God, also think about those around us that do not know you. God, perhaps there's someone in this room that has not surrendered their life to you. God, we know they're not here by mistake or by accident. God, we pray for them. God, we pray that you would open their eyes, open their hearts, open their ears, that they may see you. God, they may hear of your goodness. God, they may receive the offer of salvation you've granted. (laughs) Lord, I pray that there is a repentance of sin and a trust, a faith in you. And God, help us as believers to take the great commission seriously. To know, Lord, that there are so many around us who have yet to hear. God, we have the good news. Pray that we would share it. God, I thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. We give you all the glory, all the adoration, and all the praise. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Hey, if you're willing and able, please stand in honor of reading the word of God. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It's important to note that in the original text, there are no chapters and verses. So everything that we talked about in chapter 7 about Paul's struggle with his own flesh and his own wretchedness and how, you know, God is his deliverer in Christ. Now, all that we read, there was no pause there, and then a new chapter started on a varying subject. No, this all goes together. So read chapter 8, verse 1, in light of that continuation of chapter 7, and it becomes even more potent than it already is. <clears throat> so here it is, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. If you found your place, you say, Amen. <clears throat> says this there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh that likeness means that Jesus came in full humanity but was not marred or tainted by sin as we are. So in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 4, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit life and peace. What a beautiful promise. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Verse 10 But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12 So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Fourteen. For all who are led by the Spirit uh, Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And that sons is used culturally in that day. Sons were the ones who received the inheritance. So it's applicable to sons and daughters. By whom we cry, here's the Aramaic form of Daddy, Abba not that a beautiful term to hear your children say, even if they're fully grown, Daddy? Who we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him. Remember chapter seven, we talked about being saved into a struggle. As a believer, we have this contention between our flesh and the spirit, and it's a fight that we're in, and it ought to be a fight that we're in. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. May God bless the reading and proclamation of his word. Today you may be seated. The overall theme of Romans chapter 8 is to live by the spirit and to not be corrupted by the impulses of the flesh. Now, Arthur Conan Doyle, who is the ingenious creator of the Sherlock Holmes Mysteries. He played a practical joke on 12 of his closest friends. And his friends, they were of high reputation, very, very noble men. But he played this joke on them, which entailed this. He sent them a telegram, which simply stated, fly at once, all is discovered. Fly at once, all is discovered. Now within 24 hours, this really happened, All 12 of his friends, they packed their bags and they fled the country. Now, the question is not so much why would he play such an evil joke on them, which that is a question, but the question more so that we want to ask is why did they, these men of good reputation, these noble men, why did they feel the need to flee? Well, if you get down to it, the reality is we all have things— deep within our soul in the crevices of our heart that we are ashamed of for example think of this day alone we're not even at 12 o'clock yet have you had things go within your mind that you would be ashamed of if they were portrayed on the screen I know I have we have things about us to which we are often ashamed and these men, they fled because they did not want to be found out. <laughs> Chapter seven of Romans describes a conflict that we have between flesh and spirit. And it says that those who are not believers in Jesus, they do not feel the weight of this conflict. The reasoning behind that is if you are not a follower of Christ, then you have real, no, no, no real desire to follow the demands of god meaning why would i be at conflict with my flesh and spirit if sin within my heart is a foreign concept so conceptually alone the idea of me being an unbeliever that should be bound towards this battle of flesh and spirit seems foreign but for the believer for the follower of jesus there are days that you as a follower of jesus this is not too strong a word, I don't believe. You agonize to, to want to be more and more like Jesus. You want to become more and more like him. However, you are acutely aware of your proneness to wander. As the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You have this Desire to honor Christ, but then there are days your impulse is to go the other way and is to wander. What happens in that wandering is you have an adversary, you have an enemy that John calls the father of lies who takes your awareness of your own iniquity and he leverages that against you. He puts it in your face as if it is a mirror and he says, see, look at yourself. You could never, you could never be called a child of God. You could never be called a son or daughter of the Most High King. He becomes a great accuser, our adversary does. And even though you have repented of your sins and you have a healthy rhythm of confession and repentance, even though that is the case, you have an adversary that's in front of you saying, it's not good enough. No, because look at all the other Christians. They are not struggling as you are. They are not as bad as you are. They are not dealing with the same temptations that you deal with. They have their life together. You do not. And you feel the weight of this accusation, even though you may cognitively know that these are lies of the enemy. These lies feel very, very, very real. And you feel unloved, lonely, worthless, isolated, even as a follower of Christ. Paul, I believe, felt this way from time to time. His name was once Saul, and Saul was a persecutor of the church, the movement of Jesus. He wanted to do nothing more than to halt The movement of Christ, so much so that the first martyr in the Bible, Stephen, we see Paul, who was then Saul, holding the coats of those who hurled stones at Stephen to take his very life. And he was glad, Saul, to do it. Now, a believer, because God got his attention on the road to Damascus, now a believer who's being used of God. now writing the book of romans to the roman believers and he's very transparent in chapter seven in saying the things i want to do i don't do the things i don't want to do i do those very things oh wretched man that i am he also says in corinthians that he has a thorn in his flesh that he asked the lord to take away three times and god did not take it away but he said my grace is sufficient so this paul as a believer is now wrestling we don't know exactly what his struggles are but i I think that's purposeful and i think it's purposeful because it encapsulates all of our struggles and i think it helps us to resonate with what paul is writing here in terms of there are times i feel there are times i feel like i'm not good enough there are times i feel like i'm not like everyone else who seems to be thriving there are times i feel like an imposter But Paul says very clearly, without a break here in chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. This, for the follower of Jesus, is beautiful news. This is glorious truth. Why? Because when we realize our liberation in Christ When we realize our freedom, our emancipation in Christ from the slavery of sin, when we realize this, we realize that God has done something in us that we could not do for ourselves. As Paul says in the latter part of chapter seven, he says, O wretched man that I am, who is my deliverer? Thanks be unto God, I'm delivered in Christ. So because of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. So redeemed people are praising people i will sing of the mercies of the lord forever i will sing i think about the old song there is a name i love to hear i love to sing it's worth it sounds like music in my ear the sweetest name on earth do you know it oh how I oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus why because he first loved me when we understand there's no condemnation in Christ, we render this inscription of blessing and praise and glory to the Most High King, because who am I that he would, forg- he would forgive one like me? Now, some mistakenly believe that this condemnation that is dispelled in verse 1 of chapter 8 is for all humankind. But Paul does not say that. He says there is no condemnation for those in christ jesus there's not a general amnesty here this is for all who trust in christ man if you have trusted in him believed in him rested upon him there's no condemnation for those who are in christ first john chapter 5 speaks of this directly and i'll draw your attention to verse 12 of first john chapter 5 10 through 12 really speaks of it in its entirety but verse 12 captures the heart of it by saying whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son of god does not have life My purpose as your pastor whenever I stand behind this pulpit is not to give my thoughts or my opinions It's not to flatter you and give you cake and ice cream type language and by god's grace that will never happen Now there is a temptation there and i'm 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 flawed and there are fallacies that abound in the way that I speak And you don't need me to tell you that But my goal is not to be up here feeding cake and ice cream and just giving you my thoughts or my opinions. We need to look at the truth of God's Word. And sometimes the truth of God's Word is like sewing with a sharp needle. As a matter of fact, there's no other way to sew than with a needle. It can be painful. It can hurt. But we must know that there's not a such thing as universalism. You cannot be good enough to earn your way to heaven jesus is the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him but if you are in him brother and sister hear me today there's no condemnation for those in christ we're thankful for that so the question we have before us is are we reconciled to him today have we been forgiven of our sins today have we trusted in Jesus. You see, when the grace of God awakens us to who He truly is, we know that we hide safely in the cleft of the rock that is Christ alone. Why? He is a friend of sinners. Now, the Pharisees would have you and I to believe as we read the word that Jesus is a friend of sin. Why? He hung out with tax collectors who were like the worst of the worst of that day. He hung out with people of ill repute and and they would say, Jesus, you're a friend of sin, but Jesus is no friend of sin. As a matter of fact, he calls out the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He calls them hypocrites. They're like whitewashed tombs. They look real good on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. Full of lawlessness, full of hypocrisy. He was not a friend of sin any more than a surgeon is a friend of disease, but a surgeon gets up and close and personal with the disease to care for the disease ridden person (laughs) Jesus is a friend of sinners which is why verse 2 says we are free from the law of sin and death he has set us free and then in verse 3 we see that we cannot be saved by the law not because the law has done anything wrong but because of our weakness We have not the ability to keep the law, but what Christ has done in us is he has freed us to live out righteousness by the spirit and the power of God in us. So God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man. Remember, not being tainted or marred with sin so that he could bear the weight of sin and shame, not his, but mine and yours second corinthians five twenty one says he that knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of god in him he took my sin my shame your sin your shame and he stretched his arms on an old rugged cross to die for our sins Verse 4 shows that we are not antinomians, which is a thought that says, because we've received the grace of God, we no longer have to walk in obedience to God. Paul refutes this all throughout the book of Romans by saying, does this grace of God mean that, that sin can abound all the more? And he says, absolutely not. He says this several times. We're not antinomians to where we reject the law. No, we now have been set free to live for God, saved from the inside out. Verse 5 shows us that as Christians, we We now have new delights we have a new appetite we have a new longing and do you know this your marriage is better because of that when you become a believer this new appetite this new delight this new longing man it makes your marriage a better marriage why because you're no longer seeking selfishness you're seeking christ to be the center of it all do you know that this is better for your work it's better for your 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 parenting it's better for all of it Because Christ has done a work in you. And this is exactly what verse 5 says Those who live according to the flesh, your mind's on the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, your mind is there. You have a new delight now. And I love verse 6 draws our attention to those whose minds are set on the Spirit. It says that that person has what? Peace. Isn't it true? We live in a world that is searching for peace. We search for it in all kinds of ways. We try to find peace in vacations. I love vacations. And it can be peaceful. But you can't find ultimate lasting peace in vacations. We try to find peace in buying things. Our contentment is directly tied to what we purchase. And we think that peace comes with that. But what do you know? Just a little bit after purchasing that thing that you said is the only thing you needed to give you peace, you're looking for another thing to buy that will give you peace. It's elusive we look forward to the day when our youngins leave the house if my kids would just grow up and leave we'd have peace y'all don't y'all don't amen that too loud now i'm just being I'm, i'm being illustrative here all right but then when you are an adult and your kids are gone and you're sitting around with your spouse and you're saying hey you remember the good old days when we i wish we could go back to that when we had our kids running around and yelling and acting a fool." right well when you were in them they didn't feel like good old days but now you're thinking peace is tied to yesterday to the good old days you can't find peace we hunt for it we hunt for it we hunt for it. we even look for it in the way that we look if i can just get my body to look a certain way then i'll be at peace every time a hair loss commercial comes on i think about that man i might look a little bit more presentable if I just had hair, I could cover this big old pimple that's like shining because I'm bald, right? If I just had some hair, I'd be at peace. Nah, man, it might feel good for a little while, but it won't make me to be at peace. Nor can any of that make you to be at peace paul is calling our attention to one of the best kept secrets of the human race and here it is it's very simple while people are trying a million different things to find this elusive peace paul says those who are spiritually minded are at peace but not just any spirit not just the 60s and 70s hippie type peace when you draw your affections your attentions to christ And you have the Spirit of God who's taken up residence in your life and you're contemplative over what he has done. You see, the contemplative life that focuses on the good, the right, the true, the one that focuses on Jesus can have peace. Philippians 4, we're challenging this in verse 8. It says, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these. Because if you set your mind there, you can be at peace. Verses 7 and 8 show that if we are not careful uh, we will allow ourselves to be taken captive by the impulse of the flesh and as long as we do that even as believers as long as we do that it's impossible to please God that's why we need as the speaker at the college retreat reminded us yesterday that's why we need healthy rhythms of confession and repentance the life of a believer is filled with a life of confession and repentance not for salvation that's settled But every day we need to take our life before God and say, God, help me to look to you so that the impulses of the flesh do not carry me away. Why? It's impossible for me to please God as long as I'm walking according to the flesh. Pelagius, a Romano-British theologian from the 17th century, he believed that you didn't even need the grace of God to live a good life. And he began to teach this, but Augustine and the early church came against that, and they deemed that as false doctrine. But the truth is, that train of thought sticks with us today in the form of moralistic therapeutic deism to where we say, you know what, I'm not really... Too keen on talking about my need to repent of my sin, or to confess my sin, or to be broken over my sin. I'm not too. I'm not too up on that. But I'll take Jesus as a nice accessory to my life because, therapeutically speaking, he makes me feel a little bit better about myself. It's dangerous. No, we need to be confronted with our sin daily, not walking in a place of defeat because we're fighting from victory, not for victory. The victory's already been won, but we are in a fight, the battle of flesh and spirit. And every day we need to die to ourselves, and we need to confess those things that are riddling our heart. And as long as we hide them, they only grow and grow and grow. And you may think that that's not the case, but it's happening, man. And there's a root that's growing deeper and deeper. So confess that to the Lord, be broken over that, and then walk in the freedom of Christ, where there is no condemnation in him. But in order to get there, we have to not allow a weak theology, a weak thought of who Jesus is to enter our hearts. It must be robust. We must know that he died not only for sin, but for my sin. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish, Would have everlasting life. He died for my sin. That if I trust in Him, I find life. Verses nine through eleven, He talks about this body being condemned. That is a consequence of sin. He's speaking of our physical body here. This body, this physical body that we have, will pass away. But. Verses 9 through 11, we see the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, hear me, is living in us right now. Isn't that good news? That same power that rose Jesus from the grave is living in us, and one day as Christ is risen, we too will rise. You're fighting from victory. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit of God in you. Yes, there's a battle of your flesh. We're gonna contend with that the rest of our days on this side of heaven. We're in a fight between flesh and spirit, but the victory has already been won. We're saved into a struggle, and as we walk through this struggle, we're gonna look to Jesus and trust in Him and know that He already has won the victory. Verses 12 through 13, Paul reminds us of the amazing privileges of the victory in a believer's life. Here are a few of them that we see throughout chapter 8 no condemnation, we are set free from the law of sin and death. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. We walk by the Spirit. Our minds can be set on the Spirit. Our life is at peace through the Spirit. But what do we see in verses 12 and 13? We need to be vigilant. Why? We're debtors not to the flesh, but to live according to to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the, the body, you will live this is what we're chasing after i want to i want to die to self i want to die to the impulses of the flesh as first john says right the 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 desires of the the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life i want to die to those things so that christ can be seen as glorious and good in my life but in order to do that i need to be vigilant i need to pay attention john owen in the mortification of sin says that there's some things we can do to help avoid and kill sin in our life here are a few of them. I'll go through them quickly. Number one, recognize the presence of sin in our flesh. Listen, if you have sin in your flesh right now, the worst thing that you can do is to ignore it. If you've got something going on behind the scenes that you're deceiving other people about, the worst thing that you can do is ignore it recognize the presence of sin in our flesh and ask God to shine a light onto the crevices of our soul so that we can see what those things are and we can submit them to him secondly have a heart that's fixed on God so every day when you wake up and you die to self say God help me to look to you today God, help me not to go my own way, but to look to you. May my heart be fixed on you. You know, back in Florida where I grew up, uh, I I enjoyed hunting. My wife's daddy's a farmer, and he farms quite a bit of land, and he he has some deep woods that I would go and hunt in. and, and, uh, And so I would oftentimes go deep into those woods. And, man, when you go early in the morning or late at night, when it's dark, you can get turned around in the woods in a hurry, even if you know the landscape pretty well so what I did is I took some reflective tacks and I put them on the trees during a, during the daylight as a path to my stand and a path out of my stand so one on both sides of the tree and the only thing I needed to do uh, when it was dark out is I, I had this surefire flashlight all I had to do as I was walking in is just put that light up on them trees and as soon as I saw that reflector it's like oh, okay I know the way to go and I would put that reflector up when I felt a little distant again and I'd see that I'd put that light up on that reflector again and I'd see the reflector shine and I know where to go. I know where to go. So I I submit to you today, the thing that we need to do is fix our hearts on Christ. He shows you where to go. He shows you which way to go. And the way to do that is to be a part of the church, have some accountability, do life with others. We need to have a heart that's fixed on God. Here's the third thing. Meditate on God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many of you know how glorious God's word is, man? When you're having these struggles in life, he can bring to mind those verses that you have hidden in your heart. Meditate on the word. Don't just allow yourself to put it to memory, but think about the depths of what you're putting to memory. Fourth, commune regularly with God in prayer. You see, prayer always has an element of confession. Sincere prayer has a way of unmasking the deceit that is in us. Lastly, we practice obedience to God. Not only are we to be obedient to God in the big things, but we are to be obedient to God in the little things. What little things in your life right now have you ignored and pushed to the side where you can practice obedience? You say, God, I wanna honor you in every area. Who am I when no one else is looking? God, I wanna please you in every area of my life. Practice obedience. Verse 14 says we can be led by the Spirit, but Ephesians says if we are not careful, we can grieve the Spirit of God. We must not grieve the Spirit of God in us. No, we want to be led by the Spirit. Verse 14 is so clear about this. All who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. God, I want to be led by you. I want to please you. I want to honor you. Galatians 5 shows what it looks like to be led by the Spirit, conversing what it looks like to be led by the flesh. Verse 5 says, but if you are led, chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 18 says, if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he begins to talk about what a life led by the flesh looks like. It's sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, the list goes on and on. But those who are led by the spirit, you know this well, verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is seen. What is it? Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says in verse 25, if you live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And that ought to be our prayer. God, help me to stay in step with you. It's so easy for me because I'm prone to wonder to go to the left or to go to the right or to go with the impulses of my flesh. But God, my prayer today as I die to myself is that I stay in step with you. You know, I never really thought about walking until I ruptured my Achilles and I'm doing really well. I praise God for that. Thank you for all your prayers, all that kind of stuff. But um, now when I walk, it's like the, the gate of how I walk. I think about it now. I never thought about walking before. I mean, my, my ankle right now is so big because like I walk wrong. It's like, okay, I gotta think about it. I gotta think about how to walk. How do I do this normal? How do I pay attention to this? And as you walk and you're walk with Jesus you need to be aware of how you're walking am I staying in step the spirit of God or are there some things in my life right now that need to be excavated are there some things in my heart right now that are not aligned with who he is God help me to pay attention to how I walk verse 15 says we have been emancipated We've been freed. God purchased us and we can cry out, Daddy, Father, God, I'm coming to you because I'm struggling. I'm coming to you because I need you. I'm coming to you because my flesh feels like it's winning and you are my Father. And I know I've been freed and I praise God in the deep theology of knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So God, help me to relish in that truth and to walk in a manner that pleases you. Verses 16 and 17 reminds us that we are adopted And as an adopted child of God, as an adopted son or daughter of God, here's what we need to hear. The best is yet to come. So in the fight, in the struggle on this side of heaven, man, you're going to have it. And I would say that's a good thing. If you're you're waging war right now, that's a good thing. If you're fighting so that you can honor God in your life, that's a good thing. We're going to do it until we, we die, until we leave this earth. But praise be unto God. Even on this side of heaven, we are fighting from victory. But we know the best is yet to come. So we have the Spirit of God to enable us and to help us as difficult as it may be. Man, glory is coming. During the 19th century, Ireland, Ireland was stricken with the potato famine, and starvation happened for many, many years. And there was this uh, young boy who was trying to go to America so that he could be fed. And so he became a stowaway on a boat that was headed towards America. But this boat, this boat hit a glacier, and this boat began to sink. And as they were rescuing everyone, they thought they had a boat that was leaving the boat that was sinking, looked back, the captain looked back, and he saw this young boy fighting for his life. He turns around, he picks this boy up, this boy sits in the captain's seat, and the American turns and looks to him, and he says this, son, never forget what has been done for you today. I think that's a good reminder for everyone in this room, all of us, to say, hey, may I never forget how Christ has rescued me today. May I never forget who I am in Christ. When the enemy tries to whisper those lies of shame and condemnation, may I never forget that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When my flesh feels like it's getting the best of me, may I never forget the opportunity I have to go before the Lord and to confess my sins. May I never forget that it's impossible to please God as long as I'm walking in the flesh, but I can walk in the Spirit, and the life that is contemplative on the Spirit of God is a life that is full of peace. May I never forget Christ has done for me may I never forget that I've been emancipated that I'm free from the law of sin may I never forget that I'm a son or a daughter of the most high king may I never forget that the best is yet to come and may I never forget that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that same power is living within me may I never forget that God can do more in a moment than we could ever do in a lifetime if we would just only trust in him. May I never forget that God wants to take my life and he wants to exhaust it for his glory. He wants to use me. May I never forget the opportunity I have to fully trust in him and to rest in his promises. So church today, never forget and be encouraged that the impulses of the flesh, strong as they may be, the power of God is greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So I'm going to pray for us in a moment. We're going to sing with all that we have because free people sing. Liberated people are praising people. We're going to sing in just a moment, but to the believer in this room, two things. One, if you have sin in your life right now that you know is there and you're just trying to like forget about it, man, confess that. Give that to the Lord today. Make it right with others as needed and trust them. There's freedom in that. To the believer, second thing, if you're here and you're just ate up with shame, you have confessed, you have repented, you just ate up with shame, man, and the lies of the enemy are just whispered in your ear and you feel like you're not good enough and you're alone and no one understands and all these things, for you, would you allow the word to wash over you today? There's no condemnation in Christ and what you're feeling is not of Jesus. Be free from that today and walk around in the victory that's only found in him. As the old spiritual says, victory is mine, victory is mine, victory today is mine. You know the song, I told Satan, get way behind me because victory today is mine. It's yours today. So you remember that. Live in the wake of that. And if you're here, last thing, and you're not a follower of Jesus, what a beautiful opportunity you have to say, God, I want to call on you. Today, Lord, I want to give you my life. Today, I want to surrender everything to you and trust in you. You have the opportunity to do that. As Pastor Caleb said, we have baptisms coming up at the lake, and that's a picture of the old going and the new rising again, becoming a new creation in Jesus. It's a picture of that. The baptism doesn't save you. That's something you can experience right now. But then that baptism is a picture, an act of obedience that shows what God has done in you. So if that's you today, will you call on the name of Jesus to be saved? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to stand together. We're going to sing this last song together. God, thank you for your love, your mercy, the victory that is ours in you today. God, I know there are many in this room who are struggling, many who are battling, but God, we thank you that even in the midst of that, you meet us, and you care for us, and I ask, Lord, that we walk out of this place a whole lot lighter than we walked in because of the work that you accomplished in us, and we pray this in the powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen.